Hello, GM, GM, and welcome to another episode of the Dead NFT Artist Society podcast. I'm your host, Meta David Eve. In this episode, I'm going to give my thoughts around some pressing topics of the past couple of weeks, one being on-chain art and why it matters, and the other being about artist royalties. But first, a word from our sponsors. Dead NFT Artist Society is proudly brought to you by NFT Champ, a company out of Southern California that creates custom displays for your rarest NFTs at an affordable price. They print your NFT and frame it in a 4x4-inch acrylic display. Simply provide your OpenSea link and they'll pull your image, rank, address, and generate a scannable QR code to OpenSea on the back of the display. These are perfect for NFT collectors or projects looking to hold a physical version of their rarest NFT. Shipping is free in the US and they send within 48 hours of purchase. Grab yours today at nftchamp.metadavideth.com and you'll get a discount again. That's nftchamp.metadavideth.com. Ledger is the smartest way to secure your crypto holdings. Its hardware wallets are trusted by over 4 million customers and can secure, manage, and store over 1,800 crypto assets. Using the Ledger Live app, you will have a one-stop shop for your crypto needs. Buy, sell, exchange, and grow your assets with Ledger's partners easily and securely. Head over to ledger.metadavidease.com and take self-custody today. Gemini is a simple, elegant, and secure platform to build your crypto portfolio that allows you to buy your Bitcoin, Ethereum, and crypto instantly. Gemini currently supports over 60 different types of cryptocurrencies and with interest rates at 8.05% APY, it'll give you a leg up on beating inflation. Head over to gemini.metadavideth.com and sign up for Gemini today. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is on-chain art, and it's because I've gotten a lot of questions lately about what it is, what it isn't, why am I tweeting about it so much, about the different pieces that I've purchased. So I want to dive a little bit deeper into that to uh, give an explanation as to what it is and why it's relevant and why I'm purchasing it. Um, So something you might not be aware of is the fact that when you are purchasing an NFT, 99.99% of the time, the art is not on chain. The art is not on chain. And I think that's something that's oftentimes misunderstood. I can't emphasize it enough. The art is not stored on the blockchain. What you do when you purchase is you have created a ledger entry on the blockchain that a transaction occurred with some metadata, including like who you are, who the seller is, who the creator is, uh, date of transaction that occurred, uh, a link to the location where the art is stored in, in the clouds. And that last part's really the key. A link to the location where the art is stored in the cloud. So I know I sound like a broken record on this, but I just want to emphasize it. The art is not on the blockchain so if that link stops working the art does not show up anymore it's a broken link has that happened before yes what are the chances of that happening to any art that you own i can't give a percentage to that 
but it's probably more likely than you think. So what are the fixes to that? I'll go into it a little bit. I, 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 there's fixes. I'm, I'm sorry. Let me say there's fixes and there's also current solutions out there. So I'll talk a little bit about the current solutions. Right now, we're using two main storage protocols, which help decentralize storage. Um, but I mean, there's also there's also ways to kind of work around that, which I'll get into in a little bit. But those two main storage protocols are, one is called IPFS, uh, and that's the most common one. It stands for Interplanetary File System. I don't know how they came up with that name. <laughs> Sounds like something from Star Wars. Uh, and the second one is called Rweave. What IPFS is, is uh, essentially the art is, is stored rather all over the globe as part of like a peer-to-peer -peer network. And the the link will continue to work as long as someone is paying for it to be pinned it'll the the artwork will continue to load up successfully uh it starts becoming an issue when someone stops paying for it then like for it to be pinned then the link will no longer work i mean after and it won't be instantaneous it'll what'll happen is not to get too technical as you can probably tell i'm just trying to keep this at a high level but uh, over time, it'll degrade and deprecate, and uh, the link will no longer work. So as you can tell, it's not a good system, and it's the most common system that's being used right now is IPFS. There's another competing protocol, uh, which is called Rweave, which I would say is a lot better. Um, essentially, what you're doing in a nutshell is just paying in advance for storage, and that storage for all intents and purposes is guaranteed for a minimum of 200 years. And that's really just like the absolute minimum. Uh, the thought process is it should be should last forever, but at a minimum, it's guaranteed for 200 years. It's very good, but as you can tell, there's a little bit of a vulnerability there. It's not perfect. And so the third way, which I alluded to earlier, is that the art is actually stored on the chain. So therefore, the art will always exist as long as that particular blockchain exists. And, you know, on this podcast, like I would say 99% of the time I'm talking about Ethereum. So let's call it Ethereum. As long as Ethereum, it exi as long as Ethereum exists, the art will exist. That is actually the best possible storage solution is on-chain art. And that's what I tweet a lot about. That's a lot of what I've been collecting lately. Now, the thing about that is, is that for most art projects, certainly one of one, it's extremely expensive to be able to put art, like high resolution art on the blockchain. To put it on, I mean, to perspective and to tie like a dollar amount, that it costs in US dollars, probably like hundreds of thousands of dollars to do that. Yes, you've heard me right. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's just for, excuse me, a single piece. Uh, but what's happened is, is that with some craftiness and uses of algorithms and especially with like generative art combined with, uh, compression, you can get the art to fit on the blockchain, but it's not going to be like your traditional one-to-one -one art. Um, it, for the most part, it's going to be generative art, uh, 
whether it's like general representational art like, uh, you know, Moonbirds, which is going to go on chain soon. Nouns is a notable one that's also on chain, which is really, I think they're like using an SVG and it's super compressed and it can be scaled up uh, without losing resolution. Or generative art where it's uh, an algorithm and then like your browser is rendering it. So to reiterate, for like a millionth time by at this point, the art, like 99.9% .9 of the time, the art that you're purchasing, unless if you're told that it's on-chain art, is not on-chain, it's off-chain. And there's always that possibility that the link will cease to exist. And for all intents and purposes, you're left with just a broken link. So the the art will be, I mean, you just have a token with that doesn't have anything to point to. Um so that's why you've seen this big boom with art blocks, especially in a bear market where a lot of collections are vulnerable to, uh, you know, uh, not rug, but just not being able to go any further. And eventually, you know, they will uh, cease to exist. And then uh, there's always a very strong possibility that the collection will not be pinned anymore and it'll be a bunch of broken links. So with art blocks, that collection is fully on chain and, um, their generative art too and that's the movement that we're currently in just like you know we had the impressionism period uh we had you know the pop art period we had um a renaissance um period i guess that's kind of that's more of a, a broader term but uh we've had all these different periods uh throughout art history and the one that i would argue right now is we're having uh, a generative art uh period um, so it aligns very nicely with like the period that we're in the technology, as far as it being on, the, on the chain. And so one can make an argument that, um, you know, if you want to make sure that your art doesn't lose value, that art blocks is one of the safest plays right now, along with any other collection that's on chain. Um, so does that mean that you should stop collecting on chain art? No, it should not. But you should be aware of what you're buying, um, its limitation, um, or I'm sorry, its limitations, and maybe even take a little deeper dive into the uh, under the hood and ask some of those questions or look it up for yourself. Is it IPFS? Is it R? How's that art being stored? And by the way, some of these, some of the art, I mean, I've seen it on the smart contract too. Uh, some of it's being stored centrally, which is like the worst possible place to do it. So like, you know, centrally means it's being stored on like a drop block, a Dropbox or uh, Amazon's S3 or uh, some other centralized storage, which is absolutely like the worst possible case because someone stops paying the bill for that. It'll disappear and that's going to happen very quickly. Uh, IPFS is a little bit safer, but it's not a perfect solution. There's definitely a, a significant risk there. And Arweave is... The best possible solution right now outside of um, outside of uh, the art being on chain. So um, like I said, I'd encourage you to at least just take a deeper dive into these things and ask those tougher questions. And that would actually, I would say, force innovation and more of a migration towards more robust and um, uh, sturdier, quote unquote, sturdier ways of uh, storing art. Um, so I uh, just to give you contact. I know a lot of my listeners who are artists use manifold manifold does use our weave. So rest assured of that. But, uh, some of these other, I'm not going to name names, uh, but there are some other, you know, marketplaces that do minting that I see are not using as strong of a decentralized method of storing the art. So, uh, a huge risk there. So key takeaways on that would be, uh, look under the hood and, 
I mean, I'm not trying to shill this. I don't really have like major skin in the game, but I would say if you're looking to have like an expanded and diverse portfolio, look closely at on-chain art and I would include, you know, some on-chain collections, notably from Art Blocks, I think is one of the best buys out there. So the next thing I wanted to talk about is artist royalties. And why do I want to discuss this? It's because more and more marketplaces are not honoring them. Um, so I'm going to take it back a step here uh, and just talk about NFTs briefly, very broadly. Uh, I think that there's a lot of great use cases for NFTs. Uh, and one of them is for art. I think it's the one that has the most staying power. Uh, it solves multiple problems real world problems in the art space one is it cuts out galleries and the middle people that get in between the collector and the buyer uh provides for a worldwide audience so it's not just you know people who walk into a gallery that are able to access or be able to view the art uh it can be bought at any time of the day not during the operating hours of a gallery it doesn't have to be shipped uh, it's a relatively frictionless purchasing process. You don't have to worry about currency exchanges, you know, customs, tariffs, any of those kinds of things. And another one of those benefits was supposed to be royalties. This concept that artists would continue making money on secondary transactions, meaning that when the art is resold, that's a secondary transaction. And um, royalties depended on the marketplace honoring them so within the nft space there's multiple marketplaces i think notably the biggest one is OpenSea, which has the most mar dominant market share there's also rareable there's foundation there's no no origin there's super rare there's a whole bunch of magic eden um so the here's the thing about the royalties that is misunderstood which is the royalties themselves depend on the marketplace honoring them, which I mentioned earlier. So to be clear, royalties are not enforceable on the smart contract. For the most part, we've been operating on an honor system and it's been working fairly well where the marketplaces um, have been honoring the contracts and hasn't been an issue. As... The marketplace landscape gets more competitive. OpenSea, Open rather, is a very dominant player uh, that a lot of its competition wants to pick off. Uh, you see more and more marketplaces such as like PseudoSwap and Magic Eden opting to make, mar uh, to make royalties either optional or uh, just eliminating them altogether. Uh, so... What are my thoughts on that? Where does that bring us? Um, so a little bit of a different take that you're probably going to expect. Um, I think royalties for the most part are going to become a thing of the past because ultimately they're not enforceable on the contract. And I think there's just going to be too much competitive pressure, uh, a fast race to zero where uh, amongst the marketplaces, it's just going to be very difficult for them to honor them. Uh, and stay relevant. So I think eventually uh, it, it, it is going to be a thing of a past. I think, and this is a little bit of a hot take, is that I think this is both good and bad. So hear me out on this. I'll talk about why it's good, which is probably something that's a little jarring for folks. The reason why I think this is a good thing is that for uh, a majority of the collections out there, which offer like utility and oftentimes they're PFP, I think this is good for the space 
because these collections try to at least mimic operating like a business. And I would argue that they probably shouldn't have been receiving royalties in the first place. Case in point, if I sell my, uh, if I resell my iPhone, I mean, like, should Apple be getting a royalty for that? If I resell, you know, my home to another buyer, like, should the person who built the home get a royalty for that? Or the person who first owned the home? It's just like, if you kind of step back and zoom out a little bit, it's a weird concept. And so, um, I don't think that that really was supposed to be like the original intent uh, but somehow it's metamorphosized and it's become a thing where, yeah, I mean, it's part of the space that uh, these collections get royalties. And it's actually a critical part of their business. It's not just enough to uh, be able to depend on that initial mint price. In, in fact, it's become so big that a lot of collections just will have a free mint and they're depending on the you know 10% royalty to be able to sustain the project. Um. So um, what I think this will do is force innovation on the part of those projects where now they actually have to provide, it, it, it adds a sense of urgency where they actually have to provide value to the, uh, to the people buying into the collection, quickly be more transparent about what their plans are and really get their buy-ins, much like a business as opposed to kind of, you know, operating in the dark and hoping that shroud of mystery results in a lot of, you know, people believing, not believing in this, you know, constant exchange of hands, uh, floating rumors out there, uh, little hits and nibbles that, you know, get to pump and then there might be a little dump after that. But in both cases for those collections, it's a good thing because they're just relying on the velocity of trading. So for those reasons, I actually think that in that particular segment, it's actually really a good thing. It truly forces uh, true innovation uh, and a lot less of that, you know, toxic pump and dump nature, which always benefits the collection. You know, either case, buying or selling, losing or gaining, it always benefits the collection. The house always wins on that. Now, obviously, that's bad for one-to-one uh, -one artists. Or maybe, I mean, you could argue just, you know, Collections that are very much art focused. Um, so I've talked about this on Twitter, but I didn't really go into depth on it. Uh, but I actually think that there is a fix for this. Um, and hear me out again on this, on uh, what my proposal would be. I mean, first and foremost, I mean, there might not necessarily need to be a fix, right? I mean, we as art collectors can opt to just purchase our art from uh, marketplaces like Foundation, which I don't think they'll ever like not honor royalties, I think, because of the legacy of that uh, of that marketplace that they're always going to be committed to that. So, I mean, that's one option is that we can just kind of vote with our pocketbooks on that. Uh and I, I'll expand a little bit further because there might be, you know, a question is like, why would you guys want to do that? I mean, don't you want to cut out the royalty? Because the royalty always uh, falls on the burden of the seller. And the analogy I'll give to that is I think for a lot of us collectors, myself included, art collectors, we see the royalty similar to eating at a restaurant. And then, you know, once you eat at a restaurant, there's an expectation that you tip. And so it's something that we want to do. There's not, you know, uh, 
I mean, maybe there's some sort of like societal pressure to do it, but I mean, truly, we really want to do it. Um, so it's not something that we'd like to cut corners on. As collectors, we do want to support the artists, not just from the purchase, but we'd like to see them be able to uh, be sustainable or be, you know, have their work. And when there's periods of lull uh, for them, that they're still able to have, you know, some sort of recurring uh, revenue stream. So uh, from a collector standpoint, art collectors, I think this is something that we want to see and we want to continue seeing. So uh, my proposal going into the proposal of fix is that um, I think that there's ways where you can develop like a smart contract where uh, only certain collectors can buy it. And you can set up that uh, smart contract so that you have to have a particular token to be able to you know, engage with that smart contract. So first step is set up the smart contract. And in order to purchase from the smart contract, you have to have a token. So next question is, is how do you qualify for this token? The way that you qualify for this token is similar to like a credit card application process. You apply to get one. Uh, what happens, and the decision is relatively instantaneous, is that there's an algorithm that analyzes like your transaction history of honoring contracts, and it outputs, you know, a result, an outcome of that quote-unquote like credit background check, and makes a decision whether or not you qualify for the token, and if you've been, you know, pretty consistent about honoring royalties, you qualify for it, and if you don't, then, um, you know, you don't. Uh, and you can't purchase from the smart contract. And so what it does is uh, this smart contract only honors, only allows rather people to transact with it that have been honoring royalties. And, um, you know, if you stop honoring royalties, then, uh, you know, if you go rogue, uh, there's ways to uh, manipulate. You can still hold the token. I don't think, I mean, I'd have to kind of think through that. I don't know if that token can necessarily be revoked or taken away from you, but I think the metadata can absolutely, not I think, I know that the metadata on it can absolutely be changed and revised so that it indicates that you've gone rogue and so you can no longer engage with the that smart contract. So all that's to say is that like there is a fix out there and this can also be, by the way, a scalable solution. So it's not just limited to this smart contract. I mean, you can set up, you know, multiple smart contracts similar to what Manifold does for artists right now. They can have like, you know, subset of smart contracts available to artists that, you know, operate in this way. And maybe they can be the gatekeepers and the implementers of that token piece that I just talked about. But all that's to say is I think this is a solvable problem for the artists too. So broadly speaking, I mean, I think it's actually a good thing for the space. I think it does come to the detriment of artists. But there are fixes. There are solutions out there. We just have to get a little bit innovative. And one idea I had in mind is the one that I described. Uh, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to develop it. So I'm going to say right now, CCO on that idea. Uh, whoever wants to go out there, by all means, in fact, please do so. I just don't have the technical know-how how to do it. I don't have the bandwidth from a product standpoint to go out there and execute it. But I'd love to see someone kind of uh, bring that idea to fruition. So that's my two cents on that. And that concludes this show. I hope you enjoyed listening. I'd love to hear your feedback on Twitter. And if you do enjoy my podcast, please subscribe. Give me that five-star rating and review because it helps a lot. Thank you for listening. And until next time. Thank you.